Welcome to Humans of AI. Today, you're going to meet Martin Redstone, founder of PeopleBots. Martin advises HR industry professionals on how to use the latest in conversational AI platforms to level up their game. In this episode, we'll be diving into the evolution of conversational AI in the talented and equipment world, setting the right expectations for AI tech adoption and insights and upcoming trends across the field. Martin, the very first question I have for you is, so you started your career in sales and operations prior to jumping into the world of HR and recruitment. What led to that initial shift? I had a very interesting start to my career. So I left school when I was 16 and started off as an apprentice telecommunications engineer. So always kind of had an interest in engineering and technology. So I worked for a mobile uh, cellular communications provider on their communications network. And then I decided that I didn't want to do that anymore when I was in my early 20s and saw people around me that were two, three times my age. So I went to university to do a degree, did a degree in computer science. And whilst I was there, I had to put myself through university. So that's when I did my sales jobs. And then I moved into the world of recruitment whilst I was at university. And then kind of as I came out of university, I then really concentrated on the sales, the operations and the operational excellence around recruitment. And that's when I started moving into that world of technology related to recruitment processes. So that's kind of how I got here today. With your very early experience in the telecommunications world, when you look at your mobile phone now, what thoughts come to your mind? <laughs> I mean, just a step change, just a massive change. When I worked in the world of telecommunications, first of all, we would just move from analog to digital in terms of mobile communications. And then as I was leaving that world, we were just building kind of 3G networks. So going from just building 3G networks and kind of the early days of data on mobile phones to what we see now. It's just an incredible change. But it's really interesting because I worked for a very innovative company. I worked for a company called Orange, which is now over here in the UK anyway, a company called DE. But in the early days, back in you know, 1999, 2000, there was an internal competition around what we think the future of mobile communications is going to be like. And I draw up this prototype I literally just sketched it out and described it, which was around a mobile phone, concentrating purely on voice telephony because we weren't thinking about data and those kind of things in those days. But a mobile phone, which was basically, you know, a clip that goes on your ear and a clip that goes on your lapel, and it was all voice-driven. Because in those early days, we were still testing voice assistants. We had a voice assistant called Wildfire that we were just starting to test on the Orange network. And so yeah. I thought, well, if we could take that, then we can have a voice assistant in our phone and we can control everything via voice. So that was, you know, 25 years ago. And now I'm sitting here thinking, this is incredible. It's just wonderful how it's almost the circle of life. It's rather poetic that 25 years ago, I entered this competition around the future of mobile communication, which was all voice driven without the need for a massive kind of handset. And here we are in a world that is driven by voice and conversation. Seems how humans communicate has been the theme of your career then. Absolutely. I'm a communicator by passion. I love communicating. I love talking. I can talk the hind legs of a donkey, some people say. So why not utilize that passion when it comes to my work life and the technology around it? Throughout that journey, what sparked your interest and passion for conversational AI? Yeah, it's a great question. When I was at university, I did a degree in computer science. And one of my most 
interesting parts of that degree was human-computer interaction and the way that we interact with technology around us. And actually, my dissertation and my final project was on what we now call the Internet Things. So how do we remotely control home appliances using the Internet? And you know, nowadays, we call it the Internet of Things. But I've always been fascinated with how we interact with technology and also how we interact with the people around us. And so bring the two together. Although my real interest was sparked, I was doing a very large recruitment project for a a central government department here in the UK. And they wanted to throw such a massive amount of human resource at this recruitment project. And I was very keen to look at ways that we could automate it. And when I looked at it, most of the reason we were throwing human resource at it were to have very simple, very binary conversations with people thousands of times over. And when I looked into it, I thought, well, we could automate this using conversational technology. At the time, 2016, there wasn't really any technology out there specifically within the recruitment industry that was designed to automate conversation. But I really wanted to be involved in that and keep in touch with it. And I saw a real requirement for it and a real need for it. And that really sparked my interest in it. And then I got the opportunity to join a technology vendor who was building one of the first vendors in the market to build recruitment chatbots got involved with them, was working with them for two years, leading their EMEA teams, their Europe and UK teams, and loved every minute of it because it really kind of worked with my passions and then left them a couple of years after starting to branch out on my own because there was so much more that I wanted to do around conversational technology when it came to recruitment and human resources. When you're implementing a broad-scale system like that, onboarding a new team to start using conversation tech. What are some of the challenges that come up during the training and implementation phase? It's a really interesting question. I think a lot of the challenges come up pre-implementation, where there's a lot of pushback from people who you're trying to bring along on the journey with you. As I'm sure you can understand and appreciate, you know, the world of recruitment, the world of human resources, it's a very people-focused environment. And so, There's a lot of uncomfortable thoughts around people dealing with machines rather than people dealing with people. So a lot of the pushback you get is before you've even started the project. Now, once you win them over, the biggest challenge then is to make sure the project's a success so that you can prove exactly what you're saying to them. So most of the time, that's the challenge before. The challenge during, and this comes through education and through good communication, is that A lot of people expect 100% compliance, 100% results immediately. And the one thing that I think people have to remember is that when you're onboarding any form of artificial intelligence into your organization, whether it's conversational or not, you have to understand most of the learning takes place post-go-live because you've got no way of predicting every single different way that somebody's going to interact with that system, especially a conversational system where so many people have got so many different colloquialisms in their speech and in the way that they communicate. So there has to be an understanding and knowledge that the first few months of going live are going to be the trickiest time because you're hand-holding ultimately the application and the artificial intelligence. And so the wonderful thing about working in this field of human resources is that if you can show that onboarding artificial intelligence, onboarding a chatbot, onboarding a conversational AI is the same as onboarding a new member of the team, people get that because they spend their whole life thinking about the best welcoming experience for somebody coming into the business. So think about it like that. And that's how I build up that understanding with the people I work with is that it takes time to bring them up to speed. You don't expect them to be perfect from day one. There's reviews, there's coaching, there's mentoring that has to take place. And there's a true kind of onboarding process. And if you can get them to understand that 
it's the same when it comes to a machine, then you're working quite nicely with them there. And with awareness of AI becoming more mainstream overall, becoming more a part of people's lives in different ways, have you noticed a shift in the types of requests that your customers make? Definitely. I think for the first kind of six months of last year, I can't even count how many people said we want ChatGPT on our website and just, you know, that's obviously never going to happen. I think that there was a lot of negative connotation towards chatbots pre kind of ChatGPT. Even though we spent so much time educating people and showing them that actually conversational interfaces and conversational experiences can be superb. I didn't get it really until they started interacting with ChatGPT and understanding that ultimately that's a chatbot. You know, you've got a chat interface to a piece of artificial intelligence. So once they realized that they could have quite magical experience by using ChatGPT, they wanted to see whether or not they could have that magical experience for their own organization. And so the requests have been more positive. But actually, I found that a lot of the requests that have happened certainly over the last nine months or so, have been more around education. So I've spent the last nine months doing a lot of workshopping, doing a lot of training and upskilling so that people understand exactly what artificial intelligence is and what it can do for them, what it cannot do for them as well. And also through the workshopping, how it can work within their strategy, within their processes, within their structures of their HR recruitment organization. Along those lines of setting expectations and finding the right type of organization to work with, do you ever come across clients who just aren't a good fit for deploying a chatbot? That's a really good question. I've definitely got to the point with clients where we've decided it's not a good fit. And I suppose the trend that I see there is where people want to implement it because it's a shiny object rather than something that they feel that they can get use out of and where there's a clear demonstrable value that it can bring them. And I think that's the biggest point when I'm talking to potential clients is we have to start from a value perspective. You know, there's no point in putting a chatbot on your career site when you've got a fantastically performing search bar because ultimately you've got two options for somebody where they either search by chatbot or they search by bar. But if they realize that actually that search is poor performing, they're not getting good conversion on it, you know, those kind of things that we like to talk about. So I think the companies that I've not worked with through choice have been where there's no clear demonstrable value. I think that's probably the main trend that I've seen. Yeah. So you write extensively just on the use of various AI technologies and the full cycle of the recruiting process. I'm wondering, as you look at your own workflows and how you structure things day to day, what are some of the AI tools that you find most useful? Any things that are uncommon? I don't think anything that I use is uncommon, but I think in terms of the tools that I find useful, transcribing tools, I spend a lot of my time either in meetings, or like I said, I get a lot of inquiries. So I have a lot of initial discovery calls with potential clients. A lot of the projects I work on involve a lot of meetings and a lot of catch-ups and a lot of workshops. So for me, transcription tools have been invaluable because one thing that I like to do is give my all to that meeting rather than spending my whole time trying to write out as many notes as possible. So transcription tools have been fantastic. And alongside that transcription, being able to push it into a large language model such as, you know, Claude or ChatGPT, so that I can get an overview, action points, et cetera. For me, that's been so massively time-saving 
I mean, we're talking hours upon hours a week of time saved. That's been my biggest thing. Apart from that, like I said, I write extensively. So being able to use things like ChatGPT to help me create content plans, scheduling and those kind of things, that's been invaluable. But nothing that's surprising, ultimately, and nothing that's almost a secret kind of piece of technology. I'm just trying to use the tools that are available to most people as best as I can. And the wonderful thing about that is that the more I use them, the more advice I can give to people about the use of them as well. Looking at either your own workflows or when the teams you work with have been trying to deploy AI technologies, are there any aspects of the recruiting world and the recruiting workflows that you feel is most not complementary to AI tech? What would it have the toughest time to replace? Yeah, so it's a really, really good question. And last year, I kind of mapped out exactly what that looks like. Where are the conversational opportunities in the recruitment process? And there are tons of them. But I would say that as you get towards the end of that recruitment process, there's less and less opportunity for automation. So we're talking about offer management, negotiation, those kind of things. So ultimately, you know, fantastic. You've got through the interview process, the assessment process, however many parts of that process, presentation, all those kind of things. And then it gets to the point of actually the recruiter making an offer to the candidate there to be automated. I think that still needs a human because it's quite emotive. It's a massive impact on somebody's life, you know, to offer them a new job and to make sure that offer's right and the terms are right and the package is right, that I think it needs that kind of human level emotional intelligence. We've talked a lot about the technology involved in the recruiting world, but looking at the actual candidates there, there's a big trend towards professionals from non-AI backgrounds wanting to transition into AI roles. Have you seen any trends in what the most transferable skills are and what people should be highlighting as they try to make that shift? There was an explosion last year of people who wanted to be prompt engineers. We saw, you know, prompt engineering roles that were paying, you know, $350,000 a year, thanks, Cohere and Claude and all those kind of companies. It is quite incredible, really. But the problem is that there wasn't really much of an understanding because there's this blur between what a prompt engineer does and what people think they do. So those people that thought they were really good at using ChatGPT could then be prompt engineers. And that's not how it works. There was definitely a trend going on there in terms of people who wanted to transition purely because they thought they'd just be using ChatGPT all day long and get paid $350,000 a year. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of people out there that want to transition because they know that the future of work is going to be about AI-powered careers and careers within the AI-powered world. So there's a lot of people that do want to transition. My advice, the trends that I see is that there aren't enough people out there that are training up as, I suppose, what we can call now as AI interaction designers. So those people that are either designing the prompts or those people that are designing conversations, so conversation designers as well, there aren't enough people out there in the market right now. So if you're wanting to transition into the world of AI, think about formal training as a conversation designer, formal training as a prompt designer, those kind of fantastic things, because... You know, we know now that the future of the world is about humans interacting with technology via natural language interfaces. Satya Nadella said it last year, CEO of Microsoft, he said that you know, there's a paradigm shift in the way that we're going to be interacting with technology. Gone are the keyboards, the mouse, the kind of multi-touch environment is going to be natural language. So if you're thinking about a future career, think about training up in how to design those natural language interfaces. And with a... Conversation tech in particular, what are some of the innovative spots within it that you're following closely as it evolves? 
it's really, really interesting conversation tech because it's gone through a bit of a paradigm shift itself. So when we looked at the kind of history of conversational tech, you know, very much several years ago, you know, most chatbots out there were very much decision tree based. And then we moved very much into that kind of conversational AI world where we had really, really good NLU engines working on their massive kind of vendors that in the space that were supplying fantastic kind of NLU and what have you. And then, you know, 12 months ago, everybody wanted to start integrating large language models. And so now what we're seeing is almost this kind of full circle piece where several years ago, people thought it was really easy to implement the chatbot because it was decision tree. There was no thought around design, user experience, all those kind of things. And so people were implementing these really poor chatbots and that's why everybody had so much negative sentiment towards them. And then we had the kind of golden era of implementation where we were able to build true kind of conversational AI systems and there was design, conversation designers, et cetera. And then we've gone kind of into the world of, oh, do you know what? I can just get a bot in a box, throw it onto my website, point it at a URL for the training data and hope for the best. And what we're seeing now is hitting the mainstream media already is mm -hmm. stories of chatbots that are not performing very well. And people are able to break them through prompt injections and what have you. We've seen this kind of full circle piece. So I think the interesting part is going to be that people are going to realize that you can't just implement a large language model-based chatbot that easily. It's still a conversational project, still needs design and what have you. So we're going to start seeing this kind of hybrid of NLU and large language model working together to create a much better experience, but also have the same control experience that an NLU-based chatbot can have. So that's the kind of interesting part on the kind of techie back-end side of it. But I think the really interesting piece is the voice piece. I'm still really interested because I don't feel like voice has ever really taken off as well as it could have. Yeah. So I'm really interested in watching how that space goes. We saw at CES earlier in January, the launch of things like the Rabbit, you know, the large action model-based kind of mobile tech. So I'm really interested in watching how that kind of technology kicks off this kind of future of having this yeah. personal AI. You know, we saw it with the Humane peer and we're seeing it now with Rabbit. So that's the bit that really interests me is this kind of personal, on-person AI that's able to carry out instructions. The very uh, last question I have for you, Martin, is so we started the conversation by noticing Olaf in the background. And wondering, assuming your kids are old enough, how do you talk to them about AI and what does your perspective there change on how they'll be interacting with technology as they keep growing up? Yeah, this is a really interesting conversation point. So my kids, at the point of this recording, I've got two daughters, a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. And I'm really, really, really fascinated with the future that they're going to be leaving school and going into it from a world of work perspective. There's going to be roles that are available to them that, that haven't even been thought of now. And we're starting to scratch the surface with prompt engineering and AI agent managers and those kind of things. And something that I'm very keen on people understanding is that even managers in the future, some of those new managers in the workforce, they might not even be managing people. They might be managing AI agents instead. So the world of work is changing. And the next five to 10 years is that kind of critical time. So the way that I deal with it with my kids is I show them that AI is a tool that can be used and taken advantage of. So we do a lot of image generation together. So we create images using generative AI. I sit with my kids at night and we use ChatGPT to build bedtime stories. So we do those kind of things. So they're understanding that they can start interacting with AI. And you know, if you think about it, 
And this is just a wonderful story that I kind of give around how much the world has the world has changed in the way that we interact with technology and, and what could be of the future. I won't ask how old you are, Sheikh, but you know, when I was a kid, I remember the excitement of getting my first Walkman. I was a I was a young kid. My parents bought me a Walkman. I was absolutely excited. I love music. So I spent every car journey, the orange headphones, listening to my Walkman. And that's how I consumed music as a kid. And then, you know, I went through kind of CD, mini disc, all those kind of things. And then I remember getting my first iPod when I was, I don't know, it was probably about 20 years ago or so, however long ago it was. And I just thought it was just fascinating. I can download music onto this portable device and I can have 10,000 songs on there. It was great. And then I could, then on my mobile phone, I could do the same. I could put songs on my mobile phone. But again, you know, that's how I still had to put the songs on there. I still had to, you know, flick through, use kind of touch to do it. Now, fast forward to now, if I want to listen to music, I just say it out loud. I ask, I'm not going to say it just in case it trigger anybody's out there. But, you know, I get to ask a little piece of machine in the corner that's made by Amazon or Google or what have you. And I get to ask them to play me that music. I don't need to find it. I don't need to touch it. I just get to ask. And that's what my kids have been born into. They don't know about tapes. They don't know about CDs or anything like that. They don't even know about iPods. I'm going to dig mine out and show it to my kids actually at some point. But all they know is that if they want to listen to music, they just have to ask for it. They just use their voice. And that's the yeah. world that they've been born into. And I think that's really important to remember is that this generation has been born into this world where they interact with machines using their voice. And that's the future they're going to be in. So I'm very, very keen on making sure that A, they understand that AI is here and it's around them and they can use it. But B, from an education perspective, I'm really keen on STEM education and making sure that my kids have a good grounding in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Because even if they decide not to go into the world of engineering and technology and science when they're older, that's absolutely fine. But give them an understanding and the grounding of it. Well, if you need a tip, so I have girls about the same age and their favorite Christmas gift this past year was a Walkman. And so finding just... Old school tech, I think they've enjoyed finding more things that have friction in them. And the engagement with that versus an Alexa device is so different to your point there. And the beauty of that is you can put some headphones on it. So as they're blasting Taylor Swift, you can listen to something else. Yeah, funny, Taylor Swift seems to be the choice in my house right now as well. That's really cool <laughs> to know. I mean, look, you know, both my kids have got Alexas in their room. They love listening to music on it. They love reading stories on it and what have you. But it reminds me of that video. I don't know if you've seen that viral video that went around a while ago where this guy gave his kids a rotary dial vote and said, can you call this number and wrote down the number? And they just didn't know how it worked. It's really interesting. I see the point in showing them the historic kind of evolution of technology we know that they're never going to use that in the future. So I'd rather them get used to the technology they're going to use and get used to a world where technology is going to just augment their lives to make it a much better place for them. Well, Martin, thank you so much for sharing a bit about your world and your journey. Really excited to keep following the cool things you're up to this coming year. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me on to this fantastic podcast. Can't wait to listen to all the upcoming episodes you've got after me as well. But yeah, no, thanks. It's going to be an exciting year, I think, again, for the world of AI. So I'm really looking forward to it. This podcast is brought to you by H10. Part about advanced technology that never changes is the need for the right people to design, build, and manage it. H10 offers just that with an on-demand talent and management service that covers all aspects of engineering, program management, and AI. Trusted by over 400 companies, including half of the Fortune 10, H10 is here to help lighten your load and make you the hero. 